The Same Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by Aqua Indiana. Aqua Indiana provides water and wastewater services to more than 83,000 Hoosiers in 14 counties throughout the state of Indiana. Aqua Indiana employs 43 professionals committed to protecting and providing the Earth's most essential resource. Visit AquaAmerica.com for more information. Aqua Indiana is a reliable partner to cities and towns interested in alternatives to municipal ownership of their water and wastewater utilities. For more information about how Aqua Indiana may be able to help, please visit waterbyaqua.com and click on Aqua in your state. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Ames Hometown Innovations Podcast. Joining us today is Zionsville Mayor Emily Styron. Mayor Styron, thanks for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Look forward to our conversation here, and I think we'll have a lot of interesting information uh, for the members out and throughout the state. Uh, I think it goes without saying that 2020 has challenged all of us. You know, we've obviously had a global pandemic. We've been experiencing a real awakening in the country in the area of racial equity. Uh, lots of tragic events throughout the country that have highlighted how far we have to go to ensure equality among all citizens. You know, and before we go into the steps that you're taking in Zionsville, maybe just talk a little bit about what your constituents have been saying to you over the past several months in terms of diversity, equality, inclusion, racial justice, et cetera, and share with folks uh, what you're hearing in, on the streets of Zionsville. Yes, thank you. Well, I would say that really the the efforts that Zionsville has has taken taken on over the last month and a half has been largely driven by our residents. Um, there, a Zionsville, Zionsville's diversity coalition was launched in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. And um, the group, that particular um, first group of individuals, were, they were the group that started a, a conversation that, that was on the parking lot in front of town hall to begin with. And it, from that has grown to 246 members online and weekly Black Lives, Ma Lives Matter um, demonstrations in different parts of town. And in lots of sustained conversations with leaders in the police department, um, in the mayor's office, with town council and other community stakeholders, our school system, around working for sustained and demonstrative change in terms of our awareness of diversity issues um, and the impact that current systems have on people of color. It's great first 
step, I think, and you know, a good segue into a, a program you recently launched. I think you're calling it Community Conversations, Listening, Learning, and Living Better Together. It's a pretty good approach, I thought, and I think our members would certainly like to know more about it. Maybe just talk a little bit about the program and some of the early uh, results or early trends you're seeing from those uh, conversations around the community. Well, the first conversation is was actually actually took place in one of our parks. It was not um, it was not an online experience. It was an invitation for members of the community to come together and have a conversation with members of our police department. And that was that was a very powerful evening and it's something that when we can get together and have more conversations in person, we'll we need to to do more of. In that meeting, in that discussion, there there I'm not certain the number. It it had to have been more than a hundred residents that that showed up, and there that they heard from the police chief and his promise that addressing issues of implicit bias within the police department was a top priority, and he brought um, his three lead command um, officers with him, and they they said that their job there that evening was to listen and to learn, to understand more about what our community's relationship with the police is in Zionsville. And, and it, it was a powerful conversation. There, there's, been, there's been rumors that individuals who, um, people of color in Zionsville and in other Northern suburbs are more likely to be stopped by police um, than other members of our community. And we don't really have data that supports that, but there's a couple of reasons why the data doesn't support that. But in this conversation, there were multiple um, men and women who stood up and said, I've been stopped 20 plus times while traveling the roads in Zionsville, and I've never been given a ticket. Or I've had police follow me from, you know, the 96th Street all the way up to my home, my neighborhood at 146th Street, and then turn around and go back. And there was this, this continuation of a story, of a narrative that there are people, brown-skinned people in our community who feel the pressure of being watched by our police force more than my family experiences and and it was it was a moment that was not fraught with um accusations or um resistance it was truly a conversation and the police chief stood stood up and said i am sorry for that experience and um and and i think what happened in that moment was a discussion of so where do we go from here? And how do we learn more about what's happening internally? Because there, were, there was no data showing that. And so how do we start to collect that data? And how do we begin to talk about um, how our actions, individual actions, 
have a systemic impact on our community. And the police department has been fantastic about their openness and, and willingness to really listen to these stories and let them start to think through um, maybe what had been um, not intentional, that's what implicit bias is, right? But has um, shaped the way they're starting to look at protecting and serving as you know we move forward in 2021. Pretty powerful outcomes already. I mean, maybe that didn't surprise you, or if it did, anything else that's come from these conversations that struck you as something you didn't realize was happening or hadn't thought about, or any other takeaways early on in this process? I think what's hard right now for every community across the country is how do we um, how do we look to our police department and say we value you, we need you, you are important to us, and also say there's some work that we need to do so that our community as a whole feels safe and included. And that's that's the piece that we really have to do work on, and that we have to um, make sure that we're not creating new new problems by disenfranchising our police department. This idea of defunding the police, um, I I don't really understand what that means to some degree. I I see some Facebook posts and little cartoons and things like that that try to illustrate it. But the thing that resonates most with me is I kind of think a suburban um, police force is a great example of a police force that is that wants to understand what the entire community needs of it, that wants to be a protective force and a community building force. Um, we have police officers now, um, not right now because it's getting cold, but during the warmer months, riding on bicycles through neighborhoods and on our trail. And that's something we just started this year. And what I'm hearing more and more from our residents is that they love to see our, our police officers out and about in ways that they hadn't seen before. That, that accessibility is something our community really wants. And I see our police department really wants to do that too. So I think that even, even most recently with the, the Zionsville Diversity Coalition's Black Lives Matter, Lives Matter um, demonstrations, just recently the police chief joined them in one of those those evenings. It was pouring down rain and he stood out there with those demonstrators as an advocate for what they are wanting to have happen in our community. We have we had a group of element, elementary, middle school and um, high school artists come together and paint one of our traffic control boxes around this the, their uh, interpretation of social justice. And I think that we're at a wonderful, really a wonderful point in our community where a lot of different voices are being heard and we're working to make all of them feel safe and welcome in a constructive sort of manner. I know you've got a few more um, of these conversations scheduled. Um, after those are done, next steps, are you gonna take what information you gather and, and develop further programs or what are you thinking on, on that front? 
Yeah, I think that these, these virtual community conversation programs have not turned out to be much of a conversation, frankly. And it's, and it's really because of the, the hindrances posed by COVID. We've had so many people interested in them. Um, you know, I think that some of the first night, I feel like we had a hun we had 45 people who want, who actually logged in and there was over 200 who maybe, who signed up to get interest, who are interested in them. We just can't accommodate human beings in a single place right now at those levels. And so what happens is it's more of a one-way um, exchange of information. We've got a wonderful resident who's um, spent her entire career in higher ed on um, diversity and cultural affairs instruction. And she's delivering meaningful content to us. And um, there's an opportunity to ask some questions back and forth, but it's really not a conversation the way that very first conversation was in the park. And I think that it's a starting point, really. And um, we're all hungry for more interaction and more um, exchange. And but I I don't see us really being able to launch anything that like that until the spring. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think uh, a few communities that we've heard from around the state are looking at similar type of things. So to that end, I guess, you know, you're a veteran mayor now, as of tomorrow, I think you'll be finishing your, your 10th month in office. <laughs> what, uh, what advice might you have for another community that's looking to replicate, you know, sort of an information gathering community conversation program like, like you're doing right now? Well, I, I think we, you have to listen to your community. You're not, I, I did not launch these initiatives, I listened and tried to add capacity to them. Um, a, a, two local residents, Aaron Williams and Bill True, very early on launched a, um, you know, an event for social justice that was a bike ride. And that, that was a, a catalyst really in our community where Again, it was COVID friendly because of it being outdoors. There was a lot of work and preparation done to make it a public health, make it safe from a public health standpoint. Um, but it, it was an opportunity for a demonstrative action that the community could make to say, um, social justice is important to us and we will close down streets and ride a bike for you know a mile and a half to, to show that support. And it there's just been a continued sustained um, effort throughout the months since to, to, con to raise the flag and say, this is important. We are not going to stop focusing on how do we raise these issues and um, incrementally start to improve our um, framework around a racial injustice and social justice. So I've been reading that uh, you've had a little graffiti issue on some of your traffic signal boxes here recently, um, encouraged graffiti, some painting that's been done with some social justice messages. What's that about? And, you know, it sounds like it's a youth-led project, pretty cool uh, idea to raise awareness, talk a little bit about what's going on there. 
So it wasn't graffiti. That is, right. um, that's the that that's the term that folks who are not happy with it will um, will lean into. It what it we actually have a public art program and community. It's um, um, our cultural district manages this, and this was launched by Mayor Hawk and his administration. It's a terrific group that. Um, the the town supports and provides some funding towards, but it is a um, Zinesville Cultural District group that that periodically will solicit ideas for public art. We have um, a traffic control box that was uh, painted last year that has dahlias on it, and that was a um, a meaningful flower at the start of Zinesville's. Um, community launch and this particular co traffic control box was um, there was an application process there was a uh, an art teacher and other members of the cultural district worked with these three artists they um, at each school level there was a competition and so grew the the three young women who um, and girls who participated were um, you know they had to work for getting that that opportunity, um, and the town's role really is to um, approve the project for putting it on a public um, asset like a traffic control box. So it's definitely not graffiti. It is intentional, supported public art that goes through a diligent process for evaluation. And it there, and I will say, I, for every one person who has commented that they didn't like it, there are dozens of people who have said the opposite. And that doesn't mean that it controversy that we should avoid controversy, because frankly, I think that's the power of art. If it makes us start to have conversations that we're not having but should be, if it gives us the opportunity to feel something, even if it's kind of you're pissed off about the way you see it. That's okay. That's um, that is a, another form of community dialogue that can help us all understand more about the people we that we interact with in our community. Um, and I and honestly, after meeting all three of those young um, artists and hearing what prompted them to um, illustrate this moment in time the way they did, it was powerful and moving and um, and it's just something I, I'm really happy that we were able to do, even if it is a bit controversial. That sounds pretty cool. Do you see the uh, the artists that, that did the work? Are they leading or participating in any of the community conversations? Are they involved in those kinds of discussions? Or are they just doing that through their artwork? They, they're really doing that through their own personal channels um, and through their artwork. The, the the community conversations really have um they just don't have an opportunity to get this diverse group of people together to listen because of covid and i i i do believe that when hopefully next spring we'll be in a different place from a public health standpoint and we can start to bring all these voices together but for now, it's been, you know, really more of a, you know, a remote learning experience for us more so than a community conversation. Good deal. 
Well, you've mentioned it a lot. Um, can't let you go without having a little bit of conversation about COVID and, and what you're doing. I know you're still a relatively new mayor, but you know, what have what's your maybe your two biggest takeaways from COVID and how services are being delivered and um, maybe how you'll change service delivery going forward because of what we've learned from COVID. Yeah, well, for us, we were able to leverage early um, COVID grant CARES Act money to help us transition to doing more and more service delivery remotely and virtually. And that's been, that's been great. And I think it, it's helped us to improve our service delivery in some areas, quite frankly. We are using the things that we have learned through adaptation during this time frame to keep building permits um, you know, on time, to continue to make sure that all of the critical components of, of, of our role, um, public assistance, policing, um, inspections for building projects, all of those things never stopped throughout COVID. And I think that we can, what we are finding is that there's some economies of scale and there's some, some um, synergies between departments that we can take advantage of going forward. And that's, the, that's I think, where we're really leaning into. We're um, creating a single point of entry for all public um, services, uh, a mayor's action center, and that had a lot of the planning and the orchestration of how to, to operationalize that, we've learned thanks to the what COVID has sort of forced us to do. Well, I think we're seeing that in a lot of places around the state. There are some positive outcomes from COVID, which has been good. And I think we'll certainly see that permeate the legislature here in a few months, dealing with things like allowing us to do virtual meetings on a permanent basis and, and other issues that are, are COVID related. I think it's actually increased in some cases participation uh, in local government from from citizens, which is a good thing. Uh, on, 100%. Most, I, mean, I, I mean, that has been fantastic. And frankly, I really appreciate it. As someone who's spending most of the day, every day in town hall, it's really kind of nice to be able to check in on what the planning commissioning commission is doing in my living room. <laughs> like, it, yep. I love it. I think it's great. I hope that the legislature does make that a permanent way yeah, for the community had, yeah. to engage. I know you've talked to him a few times, but Mayor Spinner down in Huntingburg tells a story that that uh, he had over 100 people uh, watch a Board of Works meeting uh, early on in COVID, and he didn't think that there'd been 100 people participate in any Board of Works meetings combined over his previous eight or nine years <laughs> So, it's uh, it's so true. I know it. I we've launched. I and started having these community conversations in one of our um, business parks. That um, just mostly just because it's outdoors and people are tired, getting a little Zoom weary. And it has been super. The number of people who've showed up just to just to just ask some basic questions and talk about an idea or two. But I do think it's just. It, we're all hungry for some human interaction, regardless of how um, COVID is forcing us to take it. Well, I think you and I have only been in one meeting in person together in 10 months, so hopefully that'll change next year, but appreciate the, uh, the Zoom go-to-webinar feature to stay in touch with everybody. 
Uh, I think that's all we've got for today, Mayor. So thank you very much for participating on our podcast and uh, hope to talk to you soon about other issues. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. The same Hometown Innovations podcast was sponsored by Aqua Indiana. 